Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. A silent storm begins to brew in an ancient land of darkness. With tumultuous force from the crust of the earth, two worlds come together as one from the past and the present, celebrating culture and spirit, paving the pathway to our future. It's time for dreaming. Urban dreaming. Finding your voice. Finding your spirit. Joy 94.9. Warren Jacker, Joy 94.9 would like to acknowledge and pay respect to the sovereign peoples of the past, present and future generations of the Kulin Nations on whose unceded land we work, live and broadcast from. We would also like to acknowledge all our brother boys and sister girls of the LGBTI communities. Yes, you're on Urban Dreaming. This is Sarami. And Gracie. How are you? Yeah, really well, thanks. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> and how's the rest of our crew out there? In here, shall I say. Um, so guys, we are, we are on here from 8 till 9pm. And um, yeah, as always, we've always got some uh, deadly guests either in the studio or on the phone with us. And today we have an amazing uh, fella. His name is Kent Morrison. He's actually the CEO of Torches Indigenous Art in Prison and a community program officer as well in regards to the arts in prisons, yeah, for Indigenous peoples. And one of the um, – we'll be having a chat with him live in the studio as well as Ray Traplin, who's actually from North Queensland. He's one of the artists, an amazing artist at that. And the uh, exhibition is actually part of the uh, Yellowcoot Festival. So good times. Yeah, that's all coming up on tonight's show. So it is a big show. If you want to get in touch and have a yarn, the number is 0427JOY949 or you can email on air at joy.org.au. Coming up, we've got some massive tracks as well on the show tonight. Yeah, we've got our No, no Fixed Address. We have um, Stiff... No, not Stiff Gins. Yes, stiff we do. Stiff Gins with Penal coming yes. up as well and Ziggy Ramo, which you might have heard um, over Triple J Unearthed, which is he's uploaded his EP to that. So he's coming up soon as well. Oh, there you go. I could hear you now. Um, so if anything... Um what have you been up to, Gracie? I heard you went away. I did. I went to Tasmania for a couple of days. So I've kind of been a little bit out of touch, I think, with the rest of the mainland, um, if you will. went up to the Bay of Fires, um, which is named after a, um, a white man saw some Indigenous people lighting fires across the bay. And so he named it the Bay of Fires um, when they colonised, when they came over to Tasmania, white people. So went up there, which was really nice, and down to Hobart and went to Mona, got a bit artsy and culture. So, yeah, had a really nice weekend. Did you he- uh, watch Mardi Gras or...? No, I had, we had my own Mardi Gras party, I think. Yes, um, it was your anything. birthday. Yeah, it was my birthday, so it sort of just went, um, you know, beautifully in conjunction with the Mardi Gras as well as, you know, a couple of days after my birthday was, a celebration for the weekend. And we went out to the, um, the big river cruise, the Lady Cutler. Um, which is out in the uh, the Docklands here, and we went out for a four and a half hour trip and just partied on to reggae and no fixed address. Nice, which we're going to which we're going to play right now, now for you. Oh yes, enjoy. 
That was No Fixed Address with We Have Survived. Deadly, deadly band indeed. And that was the band that played for my birthday on the river. Your own very personal show. How cool, man. I was so I was so happy. Um, probably one of the best birthdays I've ever had in my life, actually, to be honest. Um, but the Australian Aboriginal Reggae Group, that's who they are, No Fixed Address, formed in 1979. They were a band who was led by Bart Willoughby, who's actually, um, you know, from this country, Oh, he's not from this country particularly, but he's actually living here now. Um, but he's um, he's been doing all his own work recently. You know, he's more of a freelance artist now. And but getting back with the old the old you know team of No Fixed Address has just been pretty amazing. And um, we've got Kent in the studio, and he's nodding his head actually because he, he probably knows the band really well. Yeah, Kent. I'll just let you know a bit about Kent. He's actually the CEO of Torches Art and Prison and Community Programs. Yeah, doing amazing work, man. My journey, like many of the men and women in the, in the prisons program, was very dis- disjointed with our, our family history. So my my dad was born up in, in Tipperbar in far northwestern New South Wales, and he was uh, separated from his family. And two years before he was born, his uh, nan's, or my nan, his mum's uncles and aunts, they were separated at gunpoint from Tipperbar to Bree Warren. So our family had a lot of disconnection through through that process where uh, culture and country but I was very fortunate to be supported here through the Melbourne community uh, through the Curry Heritage Trust particularly and to find uh, a pathway that was meaningful for me so it came a lot later this uh, idea of building the the in prisons program for our mob. Yeah I just found interesting because you're a Barkindji man. Yep. And so you know you've been basically 20 years experience in practicing the arts you curated the torch so let us know a bit, bit more about torch. Yeah well the torch I was I was employed to build a, a program to support our mob in the prisons. As many people know, for three percent of the population, we make up over thirty percent of the prison population, and it's a, a, just a 
absolutely damning and terrible, terrible statistic in this country. You know, as, as Noel Pearson pointed out, we're the most incarcerated race on the planet. So the Torch is a really small, not-for-profit community arts organisation, and they employed me to develop, develop a pilot program that would support Aboriginal uh, men and women in the prisons in Victoria. And their idea was that it might be centred around art, but I knew through my journey that quite possibly it needed to be focused elsewhere. So I went into the prisons and spoke to the men and women, and my first day at Loddon Prison, spoke to the men up there and told my story, told them who I was and then what I was employed to do and what would they want from a program of this nature and everybody just kind of in silence arms crossed just kind of looked at me there was this terrible kind of silence then one old fella just piped up and said can you tell me my totem and then of course everyone then wanted to know about creation stories never haven't seen photographs of their grandparents or you know photos of their country the relevant totem and animals all this kind of cultural information so the program was built around bringing those cultural resources in to support the men and women around what they do paint with their art paintings and focusing on that kind of healing and learning process and as we have now the two big exhibitions on to share those stories with the public and more recently being able to sell those works so that they can gain economic independence and have a, a brighter outlook when they release from prison. Yeah, for those who don't know what a totem is, uh, the totem is in regards to the animal that's basically representing you from birth. Yeah, so it's really important for our mob with the acknowledgement to the totem because that's you show all respect to that animal and it's a representation of not only your, yourself but the, it's also your language groups. One of your artists who's actually uh, a lot of his work's been... Um, well, looking at his work, is, it's amazing. It's so, so intricate in detail. Um, so he's a uh, Yalangi, he's from the Yalangi tribe as well. That's a Kuku Yalangi um, from North Queensland. Yep. Um, I guess, you know, in regards to these types of work that you that you put through these exhibitions, you, you obviously personally select them, is that correct? Or Yeah, look, as time's gone on, that first exhibition I put on, there were 49 men and women from the program, and so I'd curated 62 artworks uh, this time around there's 173 men and women in the program and there's over 190 artworks so the, the challenge is yeah to kind of curate a, a coherent exhibition from those artworks across the 14 prisons and the post-release program so it's pretty challenging but when people come and see the, the exhibitions they're kind of blown away with the, the power and the strength and the, the vibrancy and the resilience of the men and women in the program and I always say to them that's a, around our culture that's what keeps us uh, keeps our well-being so when this program started a lot of the artworks were more generic around the map of australia and the aboriginal flag and boomerang and kangaroo and emu sort of that generic sense of working but what we've been able to do is really build and develop the men and women's styles around their language group and the stories from their language group and the the paintings are such an expression of that desire for change and that potential that each person has whose pathway's kind of gone off the gone off the rails a bit uh, for one reason or another and we you know can't underestimate the impacts of colonial on our mob and how much that fragmentation has caused a lot of the pathway to prison as well as the, the over-policing and the discriminatory kind of policing that goes on and the, and the laws around that. So the men and women really want to create change and they're doing it through these artworks and so the exhibition is like an expression of real, I guess, resilience and desire for something better and connection back to family and community. And it must be so healing, eh, for like mob to see these pictures, you know, these paintings up on the walls and... And to take into account that, you know, that you mob are really, really encouraging, I guess, creating, like you said, for the well-being of our mob and and knowing that there's this um, this sort of, you know, because I know prisons can be quite, um, you know, that dark sort of Dickensian yeah. feel to it. And you're lighting the place up with colour and you're lighting it up with culture and um, and a sense of well-being. It's, it's a great thing that you're doing. Yeah, look, absolutely. And it's something that that our mob's always done. I mean, it was done f for me, you know, this idea that 
if you don't know who you are, then you don't know where you're going. And, and my life was not really going anywhere. It was off the rails, misuse of, of alcohol and just a, a life not really understanding my connection and where I was from. But once those pieces were put back together, this pathway opened up. So again, for the men and women in the ex, uh, works in the exhibition, most of the men and women will never see the exhibition but their families come and see it you know quite a lot of men and women in the post-release program can come and see it but the exhibition says to their families and partners you know the mums and dads and kids and brothers and sisters uncles and aunts that there is a a, a new way for this fellow you know that molly's life might or her life might have gone off the track and it's maybe you'd been off the track for quite a while through juvenile justice and that pathway into the adult prison system that this process of learning about culture expressing culture and sharing it that's the pathway back to finding um a better like breaking old habits of behavior that have been kind of embedded for a while and finding a new way forward and also this ability to sell the works gives that economic independence and some you know self-esteem esteem, pride and confidence to be able to make better decisions, making better choices upon release. Well, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, you betcha. And I think in, in regards to, like, you know, it's obviously more um, outcomes for possible um, jobs after after prison as well, you know. Um, this could definitely be a part of their, their next track towards a better future. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that was really heartwarming is seeing some of the pathways the men and women do take. Now, we've got probably a dozen men and women making a living and supporting themselves off their art and connecting to the arts industry, which is fantastic because our arts, you know, it's the best art in the world and it's a huge industry that the men and women can connect to. Each year, um, men and women from the program help me curate and set up the exhibition so they learn those other side of the arts industry skills. But what we're also finding is that men and women for the first time going into employment and education, uh, higher education, in areas outside of the arts. So it's really more about realigning what's possible, reimagining that future and, and finding a way to make that future possible do you work with a broad age group like across quite a wide range yeah absolutely so we work in the i think 13 now 14 prisons in victoria they just keep building them for some reason and the age groups range you know they're adult prisons so anywhere you know 20 up to 55 you know i think the oldest fellow was around 60 but what i've seen for some of the the long-term men and women who've had a, a really difficult time of it and find that they can't break that cycle back to prison is that no matter what anybody says change is possible for anyone if they kind of work hard enough and get the right type of support around them yeah definitely well we're here on urban dreaming chatting with ken morris the ceo of the torch if you did want to get in touch or you have any questions you'd like to add please sms in it's 0427 joy 949 or you can email on air at joy.org.au
Basically, he's helped develop this program, which is pretty amazing, actually, um, in regards to Aboriginal artists in prisons. And uh, Dumbara Manga is actually one of the name of one of the exhibitions, which is uh, running from the 28th, sorry, from the 7th of February till the 28th of March. So that's until next Wednesday, not this Wednesday, next Wednesday, guys. So make sure you check it out if you can. And, um, and then the other exhibition is actually at the Confined Nine, um, which is from the 14th of February till the 14th of March, so not too far away at all. Definitely worthwhile to check it out because the, the artwork that I'm seeing in this booklet that you've given me, Ken, is amazing. Like the, the I, look, I've I've actually had the chance to work in a lot of um, art galleries. Um, I've done a bit of assistant curating and I've seen some brilliant work in my time. But um, just to see like a lot of mob from community and you know who've just self-taught a lot of them too, you know, um, so beautiful to see. And we were discussing earlier while, while the music was playing, which was, by the way, which song was that? Stiff, Stiff Gins. Stiff Gins with Pinal. Pinal, Deadly, Deadly Girls. Um, just met them at the APAM, actually. But we'll, we'll have, hopefully have an interview with them next week as well. So that should be good. But in regards to the work, we've got a... Um, yeah, in regards to the work that they're doing, and, you know, a lot of these mob... You mentioned before, Gracie, how, you know, some of these mob have got life imprisonment. And so when they're, when they're receiving monies or royalties for their works... Um, can you let us ex- explain a bit more the process and how it works and where the money goes to? Yeah, look, absolutely. And it's uh, been a, a long time coming, this uh, arts policy that we have in place. So I remember when I left the Curry Heritage Trust, uh, Uncle Sandy Atkinson, who was part of the um, Aboriginal Arts Board in the 70s, and Uncle Jim Berg, who they'd been fighting for a long time. Uh, we had Carolyn Briggs around asking the government can the indigenous men and women in prisons you know sell their artwork so when they come out there's just a more possibility they can break that cycle of disadvantage that they're often facing on the way back and Uncle Sandy said to me, we've been fighting for this policy for 40 years, young fella, it's, it's your turn now. And I thought, God, if he couldn't get it done, who couldn't get it done? But as, as fate would have it, you know, in two, year, two and a half years ago, we were able through the torch to, to get an Aboriginal arts policy in place in Victoria. It's very unique. 100% of the, the proceeds of the sales or licensing from the men and women in the prisons goes to them. It's held in trust until they're released from prison. Um, but family members can apply for that money to really try and alleviate stress that might be on that household in relation to just bills or health issues, um, particularly education and clothing needs for the kids. And the men and women in the program then understand that they can support their families and also take on that more of that responsibility, take on more of that responsibility of being that parent and providing for their families through this um, process of learning about culture and engaging with our, our arts industry, you know, and as we talked about, it's such a lucrative industry. And so for the men and women to be able to engage with that economy just gives them an insight into an area that they never thought of. I mean, mm-hmm. often they're really struggling just to find a cultural connection or a way to, to break the cycle of the behaviour that they've had, but they've never really thought about the economic um, benefits that can come from engaging with the arts industry. 
And so last, in the first year of the policy, we sold, I think, $160,000 worth of art to the general public. People came to Confine 9 and Dumbarton Munger and really just loved the artworks and bought them. And last year, we sold close to $300,000 worth of, of art for men and women in the program. And again, we're not uh, selling them in terms of, oh, please, you know, support the program or woe is me. People come to this exhibition and are beside themselves with the quality of it and the power and the strength of it and also the stories. And uh, there's so many works that are now either on people's walls at home or gracing the walls of some uh, of our, our uh, corporations and organisations through the city. So the, the Victorian Ombudsman of, office bought 25 works for their new funky, fancy, retro sort of wow-bang office. Um, <laughs> and, and they were just beside themselves when they saw the works and purchased all the works for that building. So... It's spreading the word, but look, it's also what I say to the men and women, they're also spreading our culture and, and, and teaching people now. So from a position of not knowing much about culture, where they're from and their stories, they're now in a position of, of sharing that and teaching people who don't know about our culture either. And also for other family members, uh, for them to engage and, and transmit that culture, particularly to the next generation so that they don't follow that pathway too prison which often happens yeah so with that when so they are the men and women that are currently in prison that are um, painting and you know doing the works here is there a pathway when they're leaving prison to continue the art and perhaps to pass on that knowledge or to continue painting or creating yeah it's a really important point so the torch program is the only program i believe in the country that it's a through program so we provide it to men and women in the prisons and it's a post-release program as well so that support is maintained upon release same approach just can sometimes be a little bit more challenging just in terms of the, a lot of the issues men and women have to navigate upon release from prison but what we're finding is that we keep the men and women connected to that process of of art and culture and learning and expressing then the ability to navigate through parole periods to break old patterns of behaviour to not re-offend are extremely high in the first evaluation the recidivism rates were cut by 53% for those that stayed connected to the program and not only that the ability to make better decisions comes from that increased sense of confidence and and self-esteem and pride but also having the ability to make better decisions via economic independence and a self-generated income as well. Yeah, definitely. So this is only based at the moment in Victoria. Is it something where we are trying to reach the rest of the country? Yeah, look at all the. It seems like the rest of the country is trying 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 to reach me. So I get a lot of calls and <laughs> <laughs> and emails from prisons around the country. And of course, it's a something that we are planning to do is to try and roll it out uh, nationally. But it, it's it's going to be take a long time and it'll be very challenging in terms of. Victoria is a very you know, small demographically. Culturally, as we move across the country, things become very different as well and more complex and, and geographically it come, becomes more complex. But we're, we're committed to doing it. It just will take a bit of time to get it around the country. I think it's, um, it's definitely going to happen, though. And also the idea of um, what you've created is, is something that's really special for a mob. And, um, yeah, I think, you know... It's hard when you when you because I, I myself come from a small community and I know how difficult it can be when you have mob who because a lot of mob that go to prison aren't bad people they just made bad choices you know um, and because there's really a lack of um, of things for them to do you know in in order to be sustained or to find ways of um, you know getting getting opportunities as such. And that's why I think a lot of our mob commit crime, as well as, you know, the transgenerational trauma that's happened for so long. Um, I think, yeah, 
Let's have a quick break, guys. We're going to show you another um, quick song here because we want to get in touch with Ray. Ray Traplin's actually one of the artists who I'm absolutely astounded with. His work is incredible. And, um, yeah, we'll have hopefully we'll get him on the line soon and have a conversation with him. You're on Urban Dreaming. This is Ziggy Ramo with Black Thoughts. Black lives matter, that's the subject matter. Tell you to climb and they burn down your ladder. Sick of playing games like snakes and ladders. Matter of fact, I'm like Michael Jack, I'm better. Now this journey got me learning like Charlie Perkins. Educated black man, tired of soul searching, tired of hurting, tired of working and not earning. The same respect as my counterpart. My people in the deathbed by preventable heart disease. Served through rations, bought from overseas. On ships full of convicts and common thieves. Same ships to one. That brought my mother's jeans Same ships the one that got me wearing jeans Same ships brought scholarships to university So I can be a doctor and fix my people What's health when you're still not equal? The blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice The darker the skin, the quicker police shoot Labeled as heroes that we all salute But lest we forget our stolen youth our history is a mystery, but I know it word for word, yeah, it's clear to me. So what's the way forward? What's the way forward? They throw us straight in jail, yeah, no court cases on cases. Labeled as alcoholics and never racist. Grab some shoe polish and paint the blackest faces. Darker than the past, darker than our present. Darker than the future that we're surely guessing. Because it's all good to call Mr. Goods an ape as long as you're 13 and have a white face. But I ain't happy, man. That shit is a disgrace. No game, no cause. To play, it's more than race. Australians all let us rejoice, for we are young and free. My people die young in this country. And yet we are 25%, a quarter of those Australians, locked up in our prisons. And if you are a juvenile, it is worse, it is 50%. An Indigenous child is more likely to be locked up in prison than they are to finish high school. Should I be on my knees saying thank you? I be the statistic, I should be thankful. Right, wrong, I'm writing this song. Cause this shit has gone on for too long. I'm not over it, nor will I ever be. I refuse to use your memory. I refuse to lose our identity. Our ancestors died defending me. Defending the right to racism is time wasting. Open up your eyes wide, it's time to face it. Open up your hearts and it's time to embrace it. If you motherfuckers don't, I'm empty and loaded cases. AK-47 is not my choice of weapon. I'ma throw an invisible spear and really get you threatened. Throw my blackness in your face without a warning message. Enough with this shit. Can we please just end it? Yeah. It's time to end it. Hey. Yeah. It's time to end it. Hi, this is Alfie Curie. You're listening to Urban Dreaming on Joy. Yes, you're on Urban Dreaming. This is Sarami on the mic. And Gracie here on the panel. And that song just then was Ziggy Ramo with the Black Thoughts. Deadly song indeed. Okay, so we're back in the studio with Kent Morris, the CEO of the... Torch. Torch. <laughs> and um, basically Torch is uh, an exhibition that's been running for how many years now? 20? 
No, no, look, the organisation's been around for 20 years. 20 years, yeah. But the, the Indigenous Arts in Prisons and Community Program's been around now seven years and we're at the ninth exhibition of Confined, so it gets a little bit confusing. And it's got two exhibitions at once, and that's the Dumbara Munga, which is Talking Knowledge. That's from the 20... Sorry, the 7th of February to the 28th of March. So that's next Wednesday. And then the 14th of February to the 14th of March with the Confine 9 exhibition. And um, we were just trying to get on the line with Ray. Ray Traplin is actually a Kuku Yalanji man, um, one of the artists who's actually part of the exhibition. And um, Ray has been creating art for many years, a member of the Kuku Yalanji tribe from North Queensland. His art is deeply rooted in indigenous culture and the way of living in his tropical region. He paints about practices and stories handed down to him from the old people, stories about travelling and hunting the animals that sustain life and culture. And when the time of creation was in full swing, River Dreaming is his piece uh, of, of the water spirit in the form of the giant snake carved its way across the country, digging out our, riv- our great rivers and gorges. It gave us the water that we all share and live by, the water serpent who gave us life. And looking at this painting, it's just vibrant, full of colour. Um, a lot of the... You can see the earthly umbers as well as uh, some really electric blues um, with the husk of silver lining. It's just beautiful. Um, but you, you actually know a lot about Ray's work and you know a lot about his history. Can you let us know more? Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't get him on the line, so at least we'll, at least we'll discuss what he does and who he is. No, absolutely. Uh, look, Ray, I met Ray Traplin, gee, be four years ago now, uh, up at Hopkins Correctional Facility, and realistically for this man, his, his culture has, has saved, his, saved his life, really. And he came up to the, the Curry Art Room and I was collecting works for one of the confines, confined six or seven it might have been, and he brought out the most extraordinary painting that, that I'd ever seen. It was a two and a half metre by two and a half metre painting. It was called Cape Hunting Journeys. It was all based around his country and uh, activities he'd undertaken as, as a younger man on his country. And then, look, he, his life had really gone off the rails and he'd had a, a sort of succumbed to a very voracious kind of misuse of drugs and alcohol and he'd spent almost 10 years in prison in relating to offences relating to that. So he'd had a really, you know, a difficult upbringing and he just immersed himself in his culture. But for me to really uh, try and help him understand the connection that that painting would have in, in the in the broader public space was a little bit difficult. And he did, as with a lot of the men and women, there was a, a little bit of a lack of trust and it took a, quite a while for me to build that up with him. And I wanted to put the, ex- the painting into the exhibition and he wouldn't give it to me. And I was thinking, gee, I've just got to get this painting in front of people. It's quite extraordinary, but it was t- rolled so tight and it was, you know, he kept it <laughs> under his bed. There was no way I, I was getting it to take out of, out of the prison. Um, so I tried as hard as I could and I thought, I'll, I'll give it a break now. I'll start set, sounding like a used car salesman. So off he trotted with his painting and I just kept working with the other men in the curry room. And after lunch, there was a, a, a point in time when the room went quiet. Everyone kind of went quiet. I thought, what's happening? I looked out the window and across the grass was coming Ray Traplin with his painting back to the art room. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. But he came in and we had a good old yarn and he eventually gave that painting to me to take out and to exhibit in Confined. It was the year prior to us being able to sell the works. So this big, beautiful work attracted so much attention, but we couldn't sell it. Fortunately, the policy came in place a year later and that was just prior to Ray being released. And after visiting him more times, he was... 
very stressed about having nowhere to go upon his release, that there was no accommodation available. One of the great issues for Indigenous men and women coming out of prison is that there's just a lack of somewhere to go to available accommodation or affordable accommodation and that, you know, that cycle starts again. He was very so worried about this happening to him. Fortunately, uh, the policy was put in place. We had another exhibition. He'd painted a beautiful work of lightning on the reef when seeing out... On the, on the reef in the shallows, the lightning came when they're out fishing and to see all the sea snakes and the colours of the coral at night under lightning. Beautiful painting. And I thought to myself, I'm going to take that big painting back just for the opening and just put it behind where the speakers are to just make a bit of an impact and hopefully we can sell it. Well, on that night, we not only sold the new painting, but we sold the large orange painting and Ray was able to come out of prison with well over $10,000 to support himself and get himself into accommodation and from then on his life changed extraordinarily. He had stability. It was a stability that he'd earned through his hard work. Um, he was able to deal with some of the issues that he'd, he'd struggled with over time and through the, all of this he just kept painting about his country and about his culture and the works kept selling. He's done large commissions for Vic Rhodes and for the Ivy and Eve apartments up in South Brisbane. There's so many private collectors I can't uh, even uh, remember the number but he's been able to support himself through this process and his outlook originally was going to be uh, a man homeless a man on the streets and succumbing to or being at risk of succumbing to behaviors that would lead him back to prison so it's been a remarkable story he's worked really hard this program isn't anything to do with a, with a handout it's a hand up it's a it's a way of support but the, the men and women need to find within themselves that kind of strength and ability to really put in the hard yards and for Ray his painting which just enthralls people and, and is so beautiful he's worked very hard at that and that engagement has allowed him to kind of find a way back to the community you know and being out of out, out of the community for such a period of time does have an impact I've had him working installing the exhibitions and helping me curate them and talking to the media and it's really that connectivity helps him to come back into the community rather mm. than being isolated. You know, it's, um, it's interesting. The, the, the whole concept of selling our art has always been a, a, a big topic for us. And, you know, I guess some people can take it as being humble when he wasn't offering you the painting at first, but there's, a, there's the other way of knowing that uh, these people are law people. You know, they live by the country and they live by the dreaming. And in regards to selling their work is, is a big big part of whether they should or shouldn't because it's actually offering and and giving away secrets and so that's that's um i guess was that a personal struggle for you um or how did you how did you receive that when you first found um him not giving these these canvases oh look through the program there's often uh participants in the program either men or women where there's been a lot of uh I guess mistrust through the, the criminal justice system and over a period of time in jail it does change people and so it can just be that the, there's just no trust left um, and so you've got to really work hard to build that up and for, and for some men and women it, it's a little bit harder than others but for Ray there was one thing I said to him after I thanked him for you know, giving me the painting to be able to display it in public I said well, is there anything that, that you need bud is there anything brother that you want and he said look I want to learn my lingo. Can you get a, a Google Yalangi dictionary? I said, I'll get you one. And so I did my research and found one. And the next time I went to see him, gave him that dictionary so he could uh, learn more about his language and lingo. And that was that the program really works on that idea of dual respect in it, you know, that we've got to be respectful of each other's culture. And that's respectful of if I'm 
uh, there's stories relating to your culture that you're sharing, then there needs to be a sharing comeback as well. It's interesting what you said about building this program. I always say I didn't build it. The community built it. You know, we all built it. And so programs in these difficult areas, and we hear this a lot, that the programs that are the most successful to help our mob in, in certain areas of disadvantage need to be built by the community and delivered by the community for the community. And this is one of those programs. So I don't really take the credit for building it because I built it on all the support I was given by the community. It's all that time-honoured knowledge and philosophies that we have. And so the success of programs of this nature are that there's such a buy-in from the Indigenous community. All the the workers that deliver the program on the ground are from the community and it's the community that has the most invested in this because these are all our family members. These are brothers and sisters, uncles and aunts. Not, there's a lot of families. It's hard to find an Indigenous family that hasn't had a, a member of the family impacted by uh, the justice system and by incarceration. You know, the first day I went to work, I rang my... Well, before I went to work on the first day, I rang my mum to say, gee, I'm not sure I'm going to, into the prison tomorrow. And I've never been to prison before and I'm not sure what to expect. You know, is it like the movies or TV? And I've got these things going on in my mind. And she just said, you know, you've been to prison before. I said, well, I, I, she said, I just never told you. When you were two, you went to see your Uncle Fred, your dad's brother, at the Townsville lockup. He wanted to see his firstborn nephew. So the first time I saw my uncle was in prison. So it's affected our families a lot. And the community needs to really, and does, rally around supporting the men and women in those situations because we need them back in our community. Yeah, definitely. And with, so you're working through, obviously, across 14 prisons within Victoria, you... In regards to that and the prisoners, the men and women that are creating these beautiful artworks and then sharing their stories, are they are they being that information being shared amongst other prisoners or or other prisons? Yeah, look what we do for each exhibition, we make a beautiful book and so there's photos of the entire exhibition of the openings of all the family members that came and of every artwork so that men and women at every facility can see what their other either friends or peers or family members are doing and that they get a real sense of what that exhibition and uh, the, effect, the effect it's having and all, and all the media it's generating so they can understand that they're part of something, something bigger and something broader because it's a very unusual exhibition. It's so powerful and resilient and colourful and vibrant but 80% of the artists will never see it. Yeah, definitely. So with, obviously, the exhibitions are held kind of towards the end of summer, start of autumn, Feb, March period. Within the rest of the year, is that the time that you're in the prisons working with, um, you know, the artists that are creating these pieces or are you kind of, I guess, getting ready for the next year or...? No, look, yeah, as soon as we can, we need to get right back in there to keep the program going year-round. And, of course, the men and women really want to uh, get feedback about how their artworks went and have some discussions around that. But, yeah, well, pretty much we're always in the mode of working with the men and women around their... I guess their artistic skills, but also their, their learnings. What, what are they painting about? What's that story? And, and to really focus on their language group, we make books, language group documents around these creation stories and the designs of the areas, whether it's from in the southeast, the geometric line work, the possum skin cloaks and the shields, or if they're from other language groups around the country, what's relevant to them? What we find is that some of the men and women will want to paint as if they're from the central desert, but their language group, they might be from Tasmania, they might be from down here, uh, Yorta Yorta people or from New South Wales, Barkindji and, and Wiradjuri people. So just to really focus the, their minds and their learning on what they're painting about and that's what we do pretty much all year round. As we get towards the exhibitions and it's all about selecting the works and trying to curate this this crazy show, you know, that has so many men and women and so many artworks and trying to pull that together into a, into, into a coherent kind of statement. 
Yeah, so are you going with, in regards to, I guess, the arts, are you going in, say, weekly or monthly and running, I guess, a class? Yes. When I started, I really could only get around probably once every eight weeks to each facility. Now that there's more of us, we're in each prison every four weeks and each prison has its own... I guess structure around how the how the art day works. It might be half a day, might be a full day. There might be no day, but we go in and either work within the the TAFE system or with the men and women just one on one, depending on the facility. So it's very different. You know, we have times when we're working with men and women in you know management or in solitary confinement in maximum security, and there might be that you're handing information and books and documents through the slot and they're seeing works you know it's whatever the situation entails the program's really one-on-one so we do work in a group environment but everyone gets a one-on-one focused sort of support no matter what their situation we're gonna have a quick break guys um just know that you're on urban dreaming we're here till 9 p.m and um if you want to get in touch with us or sms us you can um, sms on 0427 joy 949 or you can email us on on air at joy.org Au. We'll be right back. This is Luke Daniel Peacock with Dreambox.
you're on Urban Dreaming, and we have been chatting to Kemp Morris, the CEO of The Torch, here tonight. They do have a website if you want to check out some of the artwork. You can't yet purchase online, but that's going to be up in the next couple of weeks. And just head over to thetorch.org.au, and you can support the program and the artists by purchasing their artwork. Um, if you don't want to purchase online and you would like to purchase in person, make sure you do get down to the exhibitions which are happening at the moment down in St Kilda. Yes, we've been having uh, really interesting conversations with Ken Morris here in Urban Dreaming um, about the exhibitions. There's two exhibitions happening at the moment. One is called Dambara Manga, and Manga for us mob means dog, but for which is which language is this, by the way? Right, so this is the language of the Yalakut Wheelam people of the Bunwarang, and they are the traditional owners of St Kilda. Yep. And that and translates, translates to talking knowledge. Yeah, talking knowledge, sharing knowledge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is part of the uh, Yellowcat Fest, uh, Willen Festival, and. Um yeah, we've always heard about the Yellowcat Willen Festival. No one really knows what it means. So if, I've, I've just found out tonight, actually. So Yellowcat uh, Willen, um, which means the people of St Kilda, and Naji is the gathering of the peoples together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the exhibitions are happening, and they're both corresponding with one another. So it's from the 7th of Feb to the 28th of March. So it's not too late to check out the exhibition, guys, and that's um, that's at the... Dumbaramanga one, and the other one is Confine 9, and that's from the 14th of Feb to the 14th of March, so that finishes very soon, so make sure you check it out because I'm just looking um, again at this book, and I'm just blown away by some of the arts and the artists, and there's one specifically of I'm a big fan of is Ray Thomas. Um, his work is, is like, um, it's a three-dimensional photorealist, um, and also he, he, he works with um, the idea of, yeah, just sort of tricking the eyes, like an optical illusion in a sense as well. Um, but that's one of many artists. Can you name, name a few more? Yeah, look, the, the Dumbada Manga, which is down at the Alley on Francais Gallery on 51 Grey Street, that has the arts workers from the torch. So there's three arts workers. Ray Thomas is one, and his work is extraordinary. He was uh, taught by the, the wonderful Lynn Onis. And so he's being able now to transmit his skills and knowledge to the men and women in the post-release program. There's artworks down there by Paul McCann. He's a, a Maddie Thiel man from Daly River region in Darwin, and he runs the In Prisons program and his works are really very beautiful and he of course is responsible for engaging with the men and women in the prisons and, and transmitting that information and knowledge as well and of course um, my works are incorporated because we like to think that as arts workers and, the, and delivering the program that we're learning as much from the men and women as they're learning from us so we bringing in information and, and knowledge around cultural stories and the arts industry but from every man and woman in that program, we're learning just as much from them as they're learning from us. So this is a nice way to have that two-way exchange. Yes, and your work is actually quite interesting too because it's about um, work that originates from a single photograph of native birds taken while walking on country. And um, it says you're reconstructing the built, uh, the built environment to reflect the continuing presence of Aboriginal culture and history and to give them the visual form to that which is un often unforeseen. Yeah, well, that's true, and I think when I go around the country, and even where I live on, on the land of the Ellicott Wheelam, you don't see a lot of the history or traditions or culture reflected in the built environment. A lot of people don't realise the history that's underneath the the bitumen and, and the pavement and what's been built, and that our culture is continuous and it's always here and it's so tied into this country. So I like to rebuild and reconstruct what's been built to reflect back and just to keep the, keep that awareness that the stories of the, the native birds, the changes to their habitats and also the changes to our country are significant. But this land, this country, it will always be 
as you know, as we often hear, always was, always will be Aboriginal land, and so those stories are always here. We just often don't know of them or see them, and we need to bring that more to the forefront. And I think we also need to understand that the land is not um, owned by us, but the land is actually owns us. Yeah, you know, um, so. But your work, particularly, is um, it's really interesting because you're using print on rag paper. What is rag paper? It's just a type of photographic paper. Uh, so they're, they're photographic prints, but the rag paper will bring out the detail. It also softens it a bit, so it's not so so harsh. Um, these are kind of large prints. I've had this series of works down at Dumbarda They were uh, displayed at the Art Gallery of South Australia recently for the Tanandi Festival, and these are some works from that series. And so it's just really um, what we like to do is to present different mediums and processes to the men and women as well to see that there are other mediums outside of just painting. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up, man. It's been a really amazing conversation. Um, I, I know we could talk forever, yeah. but unfortunately, we have to leave. It is time we to go. do. Um, if you have missed any of tonight's show, we will be podcasting it. So you just need to head over to joy.org.au and you can download the whole chat. And definitely make sure you head down to St Kilda and check out these exhibitions before they do close next week and the week after. All right, guys, take care of yourselves. You. And next we'll be having the... Triple Bypass triple coming bypass. up next. Also, we did get a quick text in from Phil who was wondering what the song we just played was. And it's an Indigenous artist named Luke Daniel Peacock and the song was called Dream Box. Thanks for your time, Ken Morris. Thank you. <laughs> Listening to Urban Dreaming with your hosts Sue Rummy and Miss Elanius, a show that aims to bridge the gap and close the divide. You can stay up to date by adding us on your Facebook and download the podcast from joy.org.au. Urban Dreaming on Joy 94.9. <laughs> This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.